Friends! Resistance is futile! Take me to your leader! It's him! He's the president! No, I'm not! You are! Really? This is gonna be so easy! And live from New York, it's Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 16 of Saturday Night Live with host Scarlett Johansson and musical guest Lord. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.FM. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out and they're greatly appreciated. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Scarlett Johansson. So, if you keep tabs on Pete Davidson's Instagram, he uh, I released, I guess, as close to an official statement as we would expect from Pete Davidson. He informed the world that there actually was a reason behind his sporadic SNL appearances and some of his other worrisome behavior that people have picked up on over the last few months. Apparently he had uh, hit, hit some hard times and decided that it was time for him to try sobriety. And he says for the first time in eight years, he's pulling it off and he's a changed man. So we try to not dig too deep on the salacious gossipy personal life stuff of cast and crew. Cause that's just not the aim of the show, but it's worth mentioning since, you know, he felt that it was something that he wanted his fans to know about that. Yeah. Whatever our concerns were for Pete Davidson, it looks like he's getting on top of it. He's feeling better. And despite how boring his life may be right now, he is a better man for it. So <laughs> we wish him well and, and hope that uh, this helps him to just, you know, be able to, push forward with the show in a better capacity than he's been able to over the last few months. So good on him. Good on him. Yeah. We got a little bit of feedback. Our friend Colt Smetsvin, 614. He says, I thought the Olive Garden was the best sketch performance from Leslie so far. I don't know if he means like so far this season, so far in her run on the show, but he thinks it was a high point for her one way or another. She didn't break. She didn't flub any lines. Her faces were on point thoughts. Uh, what do you think? Did you think this was a good showing for her last night? Yeah, absolutely. If we're going to talk specifically about that one sketch, it was a really good showcase of the range that she has potential for, Mm -hmm. where she was kind of restricted to weekend update pieces and things that were, you know, playing into that Leslie Jones stereotype, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff that they've referenced themselves about being loud and horny. (laughs) Right. You know, this, this goes beyond that a little bit. She's not only the person giving jokes in this, she's also reacting to jokes and kind of being a straight person. Yeah. So she's, she's showing that she can bring a lot to the table and yeah, every time I see something like this and she shows me uh, some new skills that she's picking up, she's proving herself more and more. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's always uh, stood out as not a seasoned sketch performer and that's always been you know, the biggest critique we've had for, I think it was astute of Colt to point to this sketch because like you mentioned, it showed a lot of range. She had to be indignant and a little put off when the director would sort of put words in her mouth in that like old, uh, 
sort of like a Southern. Yeah. That Paul Robeson drawl or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So she had to react to that, but then also be willing to take the direction quickly and act on it. Like when she just immediately goes in for her O face and that's like a big moment. Like she really, you know, found a nice little bit of comedy there. Yeah. So this was, this was something that was pulling her in a lot of directions and she performed admirably. I got to admit last night, I think she, in everything that she was in, I think, I don't think she was the weak point. She, she held her own and that, uh, for the amount of screen time that she got last night, I think that's really saying something for Leslie. So yeah, I, I think, uh, Colt is onto something there. He mentioned, uh, that she didn't flub any lines. That pretty much goes for the whole episode and not just the Olive Garden sketch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, she did. She did do well. She did. It was a good night for Leslie and, uh, heavily utilized. So surprising on a couple of accounts. Cause she had a lot of diverse parts to play and yeah she she definitely held her own so she's making headway i think uh, a lot of people at the show were just having a particularly good night last night so yeah i think that that kind of seeps into the episode in a few ways i think weekend update is probably another example of where things were were gelling really well last night but we'll get to that in time cool okay so let's talk about the cold open donald trump inspires a troop of soldiers after earth is invaded by aliens from zorblat nine i thought it was a, a clever cold open you know, obviously, it's a high-concept science fiction uh, setup we got here, but the main message is something that makes sense because a lot of people are concerned about how Donald Trump is going to handle any real crises that might come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people say he might not be able to handle it, and this is a good way of shedding some light on it in a comedic fashion. Yeah. It seems like the message was pretty clear. This is what if independence day happened and instead of bill pullman <laughs> donald trump was the guy who had to rally the world behind the you know the cause of humanity i thought it, it played out pretty well i didn't think it was as dense on jokes as as i was expecting a lot of the donald trump stuff as of late they've just had so much to pull on that it is pretty rapid fire it's it's just pretty joke heavy and a lot of them land just because uh, the news is so ever present that people instantly know what's being goofed on even though they they had a smattering of topical issues that they wove into it. I just didn't feel like um, uh, that it, it, it was quite as uh, poignant as some of the other ones were. And I think maybe that's because half of it is the gag of the setup of, you know, the aliens come in at one point and there's just a lot more back and forth and a lot more, even just atmospherics and production as, you know, explosions are happening in the background and whatnot. So because it was a busier cold open, it wasn't quite as joke heavy. So for a Trump piece, I don't think it was the smartest or funniest Trump piece, but I think it was a perfectly serviceable cold open. I I had fun with it. I just wouldn't put it right at the top of Alec Baldwin's appearances. The one thing that was a bit awkward was cue card placement due to the blocking of this uh, particular sketch. You know, it didn't leave many places for the cue card holders to stand. Sure. So everybody on Trump's side were kind of forced to look in the camera's direction for their lines. Right. And it's really obvious when you see Alex Moffat come out while he's addressing Trump, he's basically looking straight at the camera as if he's doing a weekend update piece, but they're often very obviously reading for cue cards. So it's something we're used to watching SNL, but this one was a little bit more awkward than, than the average sketch. Yep. It was cramped and busy. And I think the same thing that you're mentioning here, where even just the staging and the amount of people that they had in the space and some of the, the complications and limitations of that, I think that that took its toll on how the jokes played. And it also took a toll on just how organic it felt. So yeah, it wasn't a sterling example of the best of Trump, but this was still a lot of fun and you know, aliens from Zorblat nine. That's great. <laughs> I'm not the, the fact that they're taking Trump and trying to throw him into different stuff and make more points than just 
here he is behind his desk reciting the the weekend review kind of cold open because they're getting a little bit outside the box. I, I want to, you know, offer them some praise for that. This to me, even if it isn't super duper funny end to end, it's just still more inventive and enjoyable. So I liked it. I had fun with it. Yeah. Sashir so uh, in particular really made me laugh. She only had the one line, mm-hmm. but her delivery was spot on. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty well agreed upon that. She doesn't get a lot of screen time. Right. And even further beyond that, she doesn't get a lot of opportunities to be funny where she's, kind of playing background characters for a lot of the stuff she does. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to have her, you know, have a actual punchline and nail it the way she did. Yeah. She always impresses me. She gets these little tiny moments and more often than not, she really nails them. And this was a good example of that. Leslie got to be indignant and have the camera on her for a long time. And then she just has the, uh, yeah, no (laughs) kind of thing. Like the dismissive little uh, bookend on that whole illegal alien bit in the middle of it. So yeah, she had far less to do, but it's memorable. And I agree. I, I thought that, yeah, she took what she had to work with and she did the best she could with it. And that's, that is certainly not faint praise considering the situation that she's often in with just being underutilized. Um, okay. So let's get off the cold open. Let's talk about the monologue. Here we get Keenan and Kate paying tribute to Scarlett Johansson on the eve of her fifth time hosting. It was an interesting idea for a monologue mm-hmm. and for the direction they took, I think they came up with some good material to make an effective and funny monologue. Yep. I agree. I thought Scarlett Johansson was confident. She is able to own the stage. She's able to come off playful and engaged. And her acting is actually really sharp in the moment. Like she has to pretend that she's a little bit flummoxed by, you know, the Keenan video clips and things like that. And she just, she's really, really good at that in the moment live, just, acting her performance is is really good so she came off really natural and that helped because it was a pretty quick in and out monologue and there wasn't a whole lot to the concept if she'd been really awkward and fumbly or fidgety if she just wasn't as good as she is it wouldn't have held together there's other hosts where this would not have worked but i think it's, it's really because of just what she's able to project on stage that something as simple as this was able to play as well as it did you're right. We could have had this monologue word for word verbatim just with a different host that might not have been as experienced as Scarlett is at this point. And it, yeah, it wouldn't have worked completely. Yeah. So yeah, her being a bit seasoned and knowing what she's doing up there really paid off. Mm-hmm. Did you notice uh, that little piece of hair on Scarlett Johansson that was kind of going rogue? <laughs> her little straight hassle there. <laughs> I, I don't know uh, what analysis I can offer <laughs> on her hair, but uh, yeah, it, it had a, a bounce and a freeness as though her hair had its own personality and was putting on its own show. So there, <laughs> there's my take on, on Scarlett Johansson's hair. First sketch of the night. Good day, Denver. Their man on the street is interviewing Danny Bangs, professional animal pornographer. <laughs> as one is led to believe. Yeah. Thoughts. I thought this was a laugh out loud, funny sketch. Mm-hmm. Great performances from everyone involved. I always love the daytime talk show persona that we've seen in many, uh, many other sketches. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I've always been a fan of the taking things out of context and uh, kind of repurposing them to, <laughs> to, to create comedy. Sure. So this was uh, something that I was totally into. Yeah. Yeah. I thought this was really good. I had a lot of fun with it too. I think that they were able to walk that line where the premise is so ridiculous, but for whatever reason you buy into it because it wasn't like the, the newscasters, the people at the desk 
were oblivious the whole time because they clued in and now they're part of the comedy of errors of trying to salvage this. And then it turns out, you know, it's the guy in the booth who's doing the graphics that is also confused because the fumble kind of changes hands so many times throughout the sketch. It holds up longer than that premise should have. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought that it was surprisingly adept at getting to its conclusion, which I thought was satisfying, too, that they basically ruined this guy's life over a bad graphic. Yeah. And you would think maybe at first that the fact that they verbally acknowledge that they made a mistake <laughs> that you know that would fix the problem but then they throw the uh the tweets at you where <laughs> you actually realize yeah some people might be watching this on their elliptical at the gym and uh don't have sound on yeah and their graphics guy in-house is not getting the memo either just nobody's in sync on this there's no there's no saving this this poor innocent animal photographer just well-natured decent guy comes out to do a little interview and just has his entire life and reputation ruined. <laughs> Well, the website, that's his fault. That's on him. He should have known with a last name like that, <laughs> not to make that his domain name. Uh, true, but domain names go quick. You got to you gotta scoop up what you can get. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really good. And because they didn't hit the name gag till like partway through it, like they introduce him as Danny Bangs, but there's no joke along with that. So you just accept it. It's there. That's his name. Great. That's not part of the joke. And then yes, that actually turns out to be the nail in his coffin halfway through. It was great. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Moving on, first pre-tape of the night. Following in the footsteps of reality TV smash hits like Fire Island, we get a new series, Cherry Grove, which is a bunch of affluent lesbians sharing a beach house. Sounds like must-see TV to me. It's funny because, yeah, the idea of putting a bunch of good-looking gay dudes in a house (laughs) and having them, you know, just let loose, that would be entertaining television. And what this pre-tape goes to show is that the female equivalent of that may not be as entertaining to watch because of the, the quirks that a stereotypical group of lesbians <laughs> might make manifest. Yeah. So it was a funny way to spin around a concept and, and show how it might not work. Uh, if you do a one eighty on it and I think they made a pretty good example of it. Yep. I think you kind of, you kind of said it there. What, makes great television when you are taking one particular segment of gay culture doesn't necessarily play when you insert a different segment of gay culture. And I, I'm not an authority on this topic, so there's very, there's not a whole lot I can offer to it, but it does seem like a lot of the, the stereotypes and gags that they were showing for the women. It seems like that's probably very true and well-produced their pre-tapes always, they always just find the right tone for it. And this feels like it could have been a legitimate commercial on, on a basic cable channel. So I, <laughs> it's not material that I could really connect with just cause I'm out of my depth on that kind of stuff, but I'm sure that to the right type of viewer that that would all be hilarious stuff. Oh yeah, totally. Okay. Next we get another live sketch this time through the miracle of science. Max, the dog is able to speak his truth. So we get a talking dog sketch. I love that the writers are just, pulling in stuff from all angles. This is, this is a very fun and creative show for some of the premises for our sketches tonight. And this speaks volumes to just how much fun the the writers must've been having. So that was my initial thought was this must've been a lot of fun to write. Who doesn't love trying to put words in a dog's mouth and all the chaos that comes from having a live dog in the scene too. So I had a lot of fun with it. What, what were your thoughts? Aside from the cute factor, you know, putting a live animal on stage and mm-hmm. kind of anthropomorphizing it. That's always a lot of fun. You know, it was a really funny idea to have him a Trump supporter because for a lot of left-leaning people, a lot of liberals, 
just learning that fact about someone would change their opinion of them in a snap. Sure. So it's it's kind of true to life. And even dogs are not immune to this, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was uh it was a great sketch, technically and um comedically as well. Yep. I thought it was interesting, and this is a, a rare turn for SNL, that in this particular sketch, they weren't as forgiving of the liberal characters as they were the conservative or the Republican dog, I guess we'll, we'll call them. They actually made him seem like the more measured and reasonable character in the scenario, which is even funnier because he's a dog and you know, it's the, the liberal lady that pulls the gun and it's the liberal owner that is talking about how she's going to learn to respect his views and then puts the pink hat on him. Like there's, they really kind of, uh, it seems like the, the liberal, perspective was skewered as much as the Republican perspective, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does make sense. And I did think it was kind of fair in that sense, because I find there's two types of Trump supporters. You know, they're the ones that kind of just parrot all the, the sound bites. Sure. uh, Build a wall, make America great again. You know, the ones that are just buying into all the, the rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, There's another group that, what they're supporting is not so much the man himself, but the idea of rocking the boat. Mm -hmm. And this dog was kind of (laughs) the latter of those two, because he said he, that he was not a racist or a xenophobe. And he says, don't assume I am one because I support Trump. So the dog was actually a reasonable (laughs) Trump supporter, Yeah, which was nice to see. They didn't just vilify anybody who likes Trump. Yeah. He had nuanced and informed opinions that just happened to be, terribly disturbing to all of the liberally minded scientists around him. Right. Yeah. So what, what a bizarre concept for a sketch. I don't, I don't even know how you peg it. Just some fun little out and left field goof that a writer came up with that can't really be analyzed further than that. Uh, It was just, um, you know, a fun way to get a cute dog on stage. It was very well behaved. Mind you, the Wrangler picked a good dog for that sketch, despite the, uh, technical hiccup we're probably going to get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely worth mentioning that we had a moment here where you have to applaud Scarlett Johansson for being quick enough and confident enough in the moment to recover that sketch flawlessly to the point where the sketch is better for having that in the middle of it because she was able to be so quick on the draw, keep her dialogue going, adapt the dialogue in the moment back to doing the voiceover off stage. He was able to adapt his dialogue and, um, get the dog back in costume and just get the, the sketch back on track. It was masterful. It was really great to see that they were able to keep that flowing with the curves that you get when you have live animals in the mix. Absolutely. And the way she was able to kind of tinker with her line a little bit mm-hmm. to add in that get over here yeah. before she actually said what was on the cue card so that it would kind of seamlessly blend together. And almost make it seem like a planned part of the sketch for her to go over and and put the helmet or cap back on the dog. Yep. She was performing like a true five timer. Yeah. They might've discussed it, you know, leading up to the broadcasting because, you know, where there was a live dog, maybe that conversation was had. was like, yeah, this dog might potentially shake the head off. So if that happens, try and get over there to put it back on the dog. Maybe she's had some practice because she seemed like she knew how the strap worked and stuff. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, they did do it in dress, so maybe they had encountered some difficulties in dress as well, so they knew that they had to really be quick on the draw with with the dialogue to keep it moving. Yeah, seems like there was a contingency in place. 
yeah, I don't know if it was as specific as the dog might get the hat off, but it does seem like they all came knowing that they had to be, be sharp, sharp with it. And they were, they did really, really good. Okay. So up next we get Olive Garden. We have a ad shoot where a bunch of featured extras are really put through their paces by some unconventional directing. Beck's the director. And then we've got a bunch of our players in a booth at Olive Garden and hilarity ensues. At least I felt so. What'd you think? I thought it was really funny and there's not a lot of background to this, but to me, it felt like Beck's character was some kind of sadist who conned his way <laughs> into a directing job just so he could mess with people. <laughs> Cause there's no other reason to do this to people. Although it was a, f- it was kind of funny to paradise these commercials because yeah, if you do watch any of these uh, chain restaurant commercials, they do act like they've never been in a restaurant before or have eaten food before as Beck put it. Right. So on a lot of levels, it was uh, a well-functioning sketch. Yep. I'm not sure how conscious SNL is of this, but it seems like they have been doing really good this season at not getting bogged down on letting one joke stay too long and really weigh down a sketch. They're really finding great ways to vary up sketches so that they're just not, they don't run thin and run out of steam. And I think this is a good example of that where you could have a funny idea. Oh yeah, let's have this eccentric director play up the tropes of a low quality chain food commercial. You could just let the premise end there, but it just seems like they tried to mine that and get deeper into it and find a lot more fun jokes to squeeze into our three minutes than then I just think uh, a lesser production would have worried about. And I think that the, the sketch really soared because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, as, as to what you were saying, it, it does offer a bit of a palette of ideas and jokes because not only did we have the intentional messing of the messing with the actors, mm-hmm. you know, directing them to do silly things and overact and exaggerate expressions, but they also had the, uh, the racist <laughs> yeah. plantation worker impression. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so there was that added in just to add some spice and there's no obvious link between the two. Yeah. So it's not like they were just trying to ring dry one, one rag of jokes. Exactly. It's just one more curve that this director can throw at him that you just, you couldn't have seen it coming. Yeah. And then on top of that, it isn't even just that the director has all this crazy direction. It's that the people, because they're you know paid extras, they kind of have to indulge him right? Like they have to be willing to just kind of keep their mouth shut and be game, right? Their job is to realize his vision, you know? And so you get Keenan, like he doesn't want to do it, but he drops his face in the spaghetti. And then he, he says, I'd like to take my face out. And the director's like, no, put it back in immediately. He's back down in it. The, the fact that they were willing to indulge the director and had to serve his vision as wild and irreverent as it got, that was just really, really good. That was just a little bit smarter than some of these sketches some that have similar types of setups will, will shoot for. Yeah. You know, they were vocalizing their concern about certain things, but when it came down to it, they were professionals yes. and taking the direction. Yeah. Yeah. There was some humor there and everyone got a chance to throw out their best O face, uh, which got progressively more ridiculous. And even a little joke of the women's O face compared to Mikey days, just convulsing spasmic, <laughs> seizure 
<laughs> like O face. And then, you know, Keenan just doing a Keenan face. Cause why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. Just even more jokes, just stuff that that was just a path that there was no reason they even had to think to go down there, but they found it. They found so many good jokes for this that. Yeah, it was a hoot. It was a hoot. I loved it. Okay. Moving on. We get another pre-tape this time. Complicit, a fragrance for Ivanka Trump. Is there genius here? Like there's a lot of production values, but is there, is there something smart here? Did you walk away feeling satisfied by this? I thought it was a clever way of just bringing up the fact that Ivanka Trump is part of the problem by enabling it. She is as the perfume is called complicit. Right. And the fact that they were so accurate with the style of these types of commercials, I thought it was pretty clever. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I thought it was, you know, had a lot of visual flourish and it was well produced and the joke is good, but it's very simple. The best thing I can really say about it is it looked really great and it was quick. So it worked for those reasons. They found the joke and they didn't hang on it longer than it it could hold up. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Lord's two performances. Her first song is green light. Her second is liability. You're the music expert. What do you have to say? You know, Obviously, I've heard of Lord before. <laughs> you know, this isn't her first album. Right. What? What's so funny? Well, just, you know, she had this huge international hit. So it's, <laughs> it's great that she came on your radar at, at some point. <laughs> yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I wasn't too familiar with her. Obviously, I've heard her on the radio, all that. Right. Seeing her perform, it kind of blew me away. She's She's actually pretty remarkable i must say she's she's a very young girl she's got a, an incredible unique singing voice and uh, just as unique as her stage presence mm-hmm. her um, her movements basically after watching this these two performances if she ever came to my hometown to do a concert i would probably go buy a ticket because she's a real true performer and she can really captivate an audience hmm. and i i see now why she has made it this far in the music industry because she's, she's actually top notch. Okay. Well, that's probably the highest praise you can really offer someone is, yeah, I would pay money to go see you. So, wow. Awesome. Uh, I actually agree with you wholeheartedly. I was floored by the performance. I thought it was really engaging. And like you, I knew who Lord was. I've heard the singles, yeah. but I'm not a Lord fan. I've never bought a Lord album, but to see how precise her performances, like it's almost like she wasn't singing so much as it was like really precise poetry in a way. Obviously there is singing like she needed, she had a melodic quality and you need a good voice to do what she's doing. No doubt. But beyond that, it wasn't just a loose presentation of lyrics. It was very, very tight and very controlled and very precise. I guess that's the only word I can really come up with that I feel, you know, makes sense for what I saw. I was really surprised by this performance. Yeah. Yeah. You and me both. Okay. Solid performance. Let's jump into weekend update. We get our political run to start with not as much Trump bashing as policy bashing. You know, they're talking about the healthcare stuff. They're talking about the new version of the travel ban. So there's a lot for them to pull on. Did you feel like they found something good for their, their opening run? Yeah, I think they did. And especially all that healthcare stuff you know, with Trump behind it, obviously it's going to create a lot of easy punchlines. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't seem like they were really grasping for things to, to jump on this week. My thought was compared to the last few weeks, not so much last week, but the couple weeks prior to that, I think that 
Jost and Che are back in top form. The quality of the material was right up there. It was a really good outing for their portion of weekend update, but their execution of the jokes was really good. There was no fumbling. There was no misfires. Even a couple of the jokes that you can tell maybe Colin was a little uncomfortable with, or at least he was playing the part of someone uncomfortable with even those because he was willing to sell it and do that little bit where he sort of bites his lip and, and gets a little bit hesitant about a joke. I'm thinking about the one about um, Planned Parenthood being defunded. And then the baby comes up on screen, you know, you may lose your health care, but you'll have to keep this. Oh yeah. You know, those touchier jokes, even those he was able to sell better than in a week where it's misfiring and everyone's already kind of checked out of weekend update. And so just every joke flops. This was, uh, I felt just, it, it really had a good energy and rhythm to it. That was my thought on the opening salvo. Well, yeah. And it makes it 10 times easier to swallow. If you're telling a joke that might be offensive to some, if you show a reluctance or, you know, if you acknowledge in some way that, you know, you're telling a bit of an off color joke, <laughs> right. it, it helps the audience play along. Yeah. They can embrace it if they know that. Okay. Yes. Right. You're not saying this in all sincerity. <laughs> exactly. It's okay to laugh at it. Right. Franken and Sessions show up to discuss Jeff Sessions alleged perjury, but not the Al Franken that we all know and love from SNL. We get Alex Moffat in yet another stunning impression as Senator Al Franken Senator slash, you know, longtime contributor and featured player of SNL Al Franken. You must have some thoughts on this. Yeah. I mean, I will admit for a second there where they said his name. Yeah. I thought, Oh, he's back. That's great. Yeah. My eyebrows raised like, is he actually <laughs> going to, are they, do they got Al Franken back for a bit? Cause like he has not, touched comedy since he got into politics. Right. Which is probably a good idea so that people take him seriously. Right. But a, a little shimmer of hope was like making me think that he might actually come out and do a, a panel bit. Mm -hmm. I loved it though, because you know, Alex Moffat is doing it another great impression. And I've noticed that he's, he does pretty obscure impressions mm -hmm. for an impression of someone that's, you know, kind of well known, but not obviously a huge celebrity. It was a pretty accurate impression. It was a, a very accurate impression. So accurate, in fact, that I kind of feel like his impression maybe didn't go far enough because Al Franken, at least SNL version of Al Franken, like when he would do panel bits back in the day, he would come out a little more snarky and a little bit more animated. And it seems like Alex Moffat was doing Senator Al Franken. And so it was a little more precise and a little bit more controlled than, than I was expecting. I would have liked to have seen that impression go further rather than him just kind of be the straight man and sort of roll his eyes at Jeff sessions. I wanted like Al Franken type material from, <laughs> from this incarnation of Al Franken. We didn't get that. So my expectation was maybe out of alignment with it, but I certainly can't fault Alex Moffat for a really quality impression. Like he twists his mouth in just the right way to really capture Al Franken's look yeah, and squints the eyes and even has a head bob that seems to have a, a hint of Franken in it. Not to mention that voice that has got to be hard to impersonate because it's got a weird gravel to it, right? Like there is something about Al Franken's voice that I don't think anyone can just, you know, do like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Everyone can do an Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't think anyone can just channel Al Franken like that, but Alex Moffat found it. Yeah. It's not like doing Jeff sessions with that crazy accent. Yeah. It's, it's more nuanced and is a testament to the talent that Alex has. 
Yeah. This is what I would expect if there was ever like a TV movie of the week story of SNL (laughs) and they needed to cast someone to play Al Franken. This is kind of what I would expect to see in a intended to be dramatic role. Like this was a very serious and complete picture of Al Franken, which was surprising. I don't know if that served the sketch as well as something a little bit more ridiculous would have, but man, (laughs) the guy certainly has talent that that's, I guess that's my, my final word on it is yeah. Stunning, stunning. Alex Moffat still impressing. Absolutely. Okay. After Franken and sessions leave us, we get some more news. Uh, Again, I felt a really strong run of jokes that was well executed. And then Pete Davidson comes out to do another run at his first impressions segment. I know you were lukewarm on it the first time you saw it. Did you feel like this held up better than his first outing? It was a little bit of an improvement. Okay. You know, he did acknowledge some background of of these political figures and gave some context. Right. And he has a very, uh, very creative way of, of describing the vibe that these people give off. It makes a lot of obscure references. So it is pretty funny stuff. Compared to the last one, I'd say he's working out the kinks and making it work a little better as a, as a piece. Yep. I think this had more going for it than last time. Like you said, it was a little bit more fleshed out and the, the things that he found to to zero in on and skewer were a little sharper. And it seems like he didn't target as many people. It seems like last time it was more rapid fire. So it just, a lot of it gets lost and becomes very forgettable. Whereas this was a little bit more well-rounded and fleshed out. That was my thought on it. I still think that overall it's kind of forgettable material, but like you, I thought that this was the better of the two outings. Yeah. Che uh, really threw him off for a second. He uh, kind of cracked him up. Oh yeah. <laughs> he, he needed a few seconds to recover. I was like, I was actually scared that he was not going to be able to get over the giggles that, uh, that creeped up on him. Well, he did throw it back at Che, right? He's like, well, maybe not as impressive as yours or something like that. Like he was, <laughs> yeah. he was able to run with it, but you're right. Like that, when you kind of get hit from the side and you're not expecting it, you need to get back in the zone and you could tell that he was, he was steadying himself as he was trying to retort and push that back at Che. Yeah, that was fun. I'm, I'm glad that he was able to take it and, and roll with it as quickly as he did. Cause otherwise, yeah, it could have gotten awkward. Yeah, but it didn't. It was uh it was good stuff. Yeah. A lot of fun. Back half of the show. First live sketch, true tales from the sea. Uh, we get a castaway who washes up on an Island and is propositioned by three very different mermaids. <laughs> this is another just bizarre sketch. This could have been a 10 to one. I think this whole show was chock full of 10 to ones, to be perfectly honest. Did this work for you? And is there anything smart about it? <laughs> is there anything smart about it? If, if there is, it went over my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've seen this character before. Shud, that is. <laughs> yes. And Shud's new companion, Kunk. <laughs> yes. Good, good direction to take it. This never struck me as a recurring sketch the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. It felt like a standalone piece, but for whatever reason, they kind of fell in love with it and wanted to revisit it. Not a horrible idea either because it was a well-serving sketch. So yeah, it's a, it's a good sketch that worked really well, I think. This is not a smart sketch. I don't know why I asked you if there was any brilliance behind it. I don't think we should be looking for it. This is the pure enjoyment of having, you know, this slimy, wretched being 
hit on <laughs> Mikey Day and, you know, throw out all these like casual trashy remarks along the way. <laughs> it's just dumb, goofy fun. And I lapped it up. I thought it was great. Yeah. I wanted to mention the the whole Simpsons theme song gag. Mm-hmm. First of all, Sashir and Cecily, we've seen them sing before. They make a pretty good duo. Eh, sometimes. <laughs> I mean, Cecily didn't really impress us too much with the, um, what's the name of that song? To Sir With Love. To Sir With Love. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's not so impressive. <laughs> but yeah, like I was wondering why those two harmonized notes sounded so familiar. <laughs> and it was perfect. It really was. Yeah, because they were pitch perfect on that exact harmonization yeah. that starts the Simpsons theme song. And aside from that, I'm I'm really impressed that Scarlett Johansson didn't lose it, staring into Kate's <laughs> eyes and humming the dub-dub-dub-dub the part. Yeah. Because you could see her almost break for a yeah. second, but she held it together. My guess is that this sketch was probably Kate slash Scarlett's call. I think just one of them thought, oh, this would be so much fun to do with my buddy who I just did a movie with. Nobody is going to deny the host and nobody's going to deny Kate. So if they wanted to do this sketch and it looked like they were all in just because of how much fun they were having, that it was going to get to air. Oh, yeah. They they seem to genuinely like each other. I, I'd say they got along on set oh, yeah. uh, when they did that film. Yeah, there was a, a sense of camaraderie that came across in the monologue as well. Yeah, for dumb, stupid, gross-out fun, it was great. And as a second outing for a sketch that we probably didn't think was going to be a recurring character, they were able to mix it up enough. You know, they gave her a buddy, they changed up the scenario enough that it worked. It, it was a reasonable second outing. Yes. Yep. Okay. After that, we're just going to keep the goofy fun a roll in here. Shanice Goodwin, Ninja. This time, Shanice has to team up with... I'm guessing this is her, you know, rival Dominique <laughs> because their sensei has been kidnapped and they have to go rescue him. The first outing of this was a little bit better. I found just the surprise factor and the use of props was a little bit more effective. Mm-hmm. What I noticed is that this is the second sketch in a row that it was recurring a and B there was a counterpart added to yes. the lead character. Cause yep. we just saw Kunk added to shud <laughs> Yes. Now we're seeing Dominique added alongside Shanice. Right. So it was a glaring similarity to put those back to back. People might feel it's a, a tired concept at that point to throw in a, an extra counterpart to the main character of the sketch. Eh, maybe, but the, the flip side of that is if they don't reinvent it at all and it's just another outing that's beat for beat what they did the first time, then the criticism is they didn't reinvent anything. I am much happier to see them work in a new character, which creates a new dynamic, right? Now it's not just Shanice going after the bad guys in her uh, bumbling way. Now she's got a rivalry. Now there's this back and forth where Dominique is perfect and is really good under pressure and Shanice is bumbling around. And so there's a whole nother dynamic between the two of them that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So I'm glad that they did it. Not only does it give the host something to do, right? Cause the first time they did the sketch, it was a Leslie vehicle. There was no place for the host to participate. So y- you kind of had to, right? You've got a very capable host that, you know, is up for the challenge. If you're going to do this sketch, why wouldn't you create that role for it? And I thought the sketch was better for it. I thought both of them were personally. True. Any idea what kind of nationality Dominique was supposed to be? <laughs> uh, I think there was some Russian mixed in there at times the I, the accent kind of came and went at first i thought she was going for japanese yeah but then uh some borat s <laughs> stuff started coming out of her mouth so maybe she didn't know what she was trying to do it was a little bit all over the place like you said 
whatever it was, it didn't hurt the sketch. Cause it's just one more thing for you to kind of cock your head at and go, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. I liked it. I liked it. The, such dumb comedy in the back half so far, but I, I was lapping it up. If a show has won me over in the first half, they can do just about anything they want in the last half and, and I'll eat it up. And, and so far I'm still all in. <laughs> yeah. I think that goes for me too. Okay. Let's move on. Ace and Jake turn the spotlight on the marginalization of women. This past week we had the, the women's day thing, which they call attention to, which is kind of the impetus of the sketch. And then Beck and Kyle take that and create this little performance piece with it. What did you think? Was this as smart as I thought it was? Yeah. I'm assuming you thought it was really smart because I did too. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I thought this is, you know, if you're, if you're going to comment on the marginalization of women while you're marginalizing women, that is smart. That was my thought. Yep. Smart. But also it's something you see in real life. Sure. Sometimes in the process of trying to support women, you end up doing the, the opposite of what's intended. Right. So to play that up and exaggerate a little bit makes, uh, makes for a good sketch as we, as we can see here. The thing is, and, and I hope that people realize this is that, you know, while they were obviously silencing the women, not giving them much to do themselves, <laughs> they did raise some, some good points of, of the hardships that women go through. Sure. But also I think what they were trying to say is if we do this stuff by accident, don't hold it against us too harshly because we are trying (laughs) and if we need some guidance on how to do it better you know please work with us on that i'm talking about us men of course yes 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 don't think we're not our heart is not in the right place because it is yeah fair enough yeah no they were 100 sincerely oblivious to how they were contributing to the problem while commenting on the problem so yeah as much as this was a clever vehicle to throw these issues out there in a, you know, fun satirical way, you're right that it also was a comment on how sometimes these issues aren't malicious. They are just stupidity by uninformed people that maybe don't even understand (laughs) their contribution to the matter. So without, you know, getting too serious and preachy on the cast, I, I think if you want to go looking for meaning in this, you'll find as much as, as you're looking for. If uh, you're very sensitive to those issues as a woman, then hopefully you find the joke and, and realize the love behind it. And if you're a guy, maybe take a few seconds and say, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. This maybe hits a little closer to home than, than it should have. This is great comedy. If it can raise those questions and, and just get people thinking about it. And I think for that, it's maybe smarter than it appears at first glance. Yeah. Yeah. And how great was it that, you know, there was just a quick visual gag that relied on, utilizing every single female cast member. <laughs> yes. I'm kind of impressed that they went to the trouble. Well, it, it makes the joke that much stronger that, yeah, they had everybody in the mix just to not let them do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. It was great. And in a back half that has been littered so far with the most mindless <laughs> of humor, it's really nice that they had a fun little cerebral moment, you know, right there, right, right before we get hit over the head with our 10 to one. So let's jump into that. Yeah. Uh, we're at David's funeral and his friends decide to pay their respects by reciting some of his deep club tracks that his wife is completely in the dark. on. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a ridiculous show. Okay. I'm, I'm going to toss it to you because I, I could run at the mouth about all the, the fun things I liked about this, but I want to hear your, your hot take on it. Yeah. 
you don't have to be a genius to know why this is funny because obviously <laughs> judging by the picture that they have on the easel, like we never got to meet this man, but we're hearing about him and we see that, you know, he was basically just a middle-aged balding man at a collared shirt under his, his sweater. Mm-hmm. Just your typical suburban middle-class guy, right? Yeah. This is the most boring guy you could ever come across in life. That's what we see in the picture. Yeah. To compare that to the songs that he supposedly wrote, (laughs) first of all, the genre and also the subject matter of those songs, you know, that contrast is, of course, it doesn't add up. Right. That's why this is just a hoot. (laughs) It was an absolute hoot and I loved it. Yeah. It's really great that they were able to establish that this guy is supposedly boring and has, you know, a very equally, you know, boring wife, you know, that paints a picture of a very mundane life without any excitement, any controversy. You would not expect that he has an entire alter ego from looking at his picture or, you know, the way his wife is eulogizing him. So because they built that up front, it makes it so satisfying each time they come back and do another song and it illuminates another aspect of his wild, licentious, craven lifestyle that his wife is totally oblivious to. It just gets sweeter each time around. It gets sweeter. And, uh, I, I loved it because God, what's the worst thing? Like that all comes out at the, the time when they're grieving and they want to remember you at your best. And, and all of a sudden they get this picture painted of, of a completely different person than who they knew. That is so uncomfortable and unsettling. And this just played that up to the best degree that it could. And and I don't see how it could have been better. Uh, I'm in total agreement. Yeah. It was just, geez, man, this, this show really just fired end to end. And I'm amazed that something this satisfying showed up 10 to one and uh, glad it did really glad it did. You know, the 10 to one sketches have been a little bit on the weak side Mm -hmm. compared to other seasons. This is an exception to to that because this was probably one of the stronger ones so far we've seen this year. Yeah. I got to just applaud the writers so much diverse comedy and silliness and a lot of unique ideas thrown into this show. I wasn't expecting to be this charmed and for it to carry all the way to the end. Normally by the time you get to the 10 to one, you've seen the best of the show and you're just, you're just waiting to see, okay, well, what else did they have that they weren't comfortable putting earlier in the show? Right. What's left to scrape up off the floor at this point, but no, they just had a, an embarrassment of riches for material tonight. I I wonder what got cut. I mean, if this is what made it, I wonder if they had any other juicy nuggets that maybe they'll repurpose for another show. Cause it just seems like they just pulled it all out tonight. Like the best stuff they had for one of their most capable hosts. And what a good show. What a good, good show. I do love me some juicy nuggets. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's our recap. Let's talk moment of the night. What took it for you? For my moment of the night, I think it's going to go to uh, Mikey Day's O face. <laughs> it was a spectacular O face. It was spectacular. It was uh, depressingly <laughs> accurate. Oh, maybe a little bit exaggerated. Not that much. Not that much. Guys are just, oh, we're the worst. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you haven't been paying attention, ladies, this, this is what it looks like. <laughs> it's not far off at the very least. Oh, so, um, yeah, Mikey day. That's some real method acting right there. <laughs> I can only assume. <laughs> I mean, it was that good. It was, it was a fun moment. It was a really fun moment. I'm going to go with 
Max, the dog loses his helmet. I think that that recovery and that in the moment improvisation that kept that sketch together and made it that much funnier. I I think that that's a, a real moment that highlights Scarlett Johansson's abilities, Beck Bennett's abilities, and just the competence of a really good show. And that's what we saw tonight. And that's a superlative example, I think. Yep. And I think whenever there's a live animal in a sketch, a small part of the audience is hoping something kind of sure. goes awry with it. Yeah. You want your Brian fellows moment. Yeah. And it gets a, a laugh that wasn't written into any script, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you could clearly see a reaction from the audience mm-hmm. when that started to derail. Yep. But yeah, for the, also for the recovery aspect as well, it, it definitely deserves a, an acknowledgement. Yep. Okay. Now this one might be a little bit tougher to peg best overall sketch. Now this episode where it was lacking in uh, pre-tapes, it definitely made up in live sketches. Mm-hmm. This was a live night. This is where the strengths were. Yep. It makes my job to pick a uh, best sketch of the night really, really difficult. So maybe I'll feel different about it later, but the way I feel right now, I'm going to give it to the first sketch after the monologue. Good day, Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Danny Bangs, <laughs> just because I, I I enjoyed the setup and I love that taking things out of context, as I said, that's it always tickles my funny bone. Sure. So that'll that'll be my my choice, even though I could choose almost any of the live sketches tonight. It's nice when there's no wrong answer. There's very little, like you said, from the live material that you could point to that isn't really top notch work for the show. I'm giving it to the ten to one. I really loved the premise of that, the awkwardness of having someone's alternate lifestyle presented in all of its unabashed glory at their own funeral in front of their, you know, very decent and wholesome and boring wife and friends. Uh, that scares me a little bit. That concept scares me a little bit and to see it played up with such fun songs that so perfectly capture uh, the type of lifestyle that would be 180 degrees from the picture of this guy that's on display. There's just a lot there that I felt really worked and all the more so that this was the last outing for the night. I just think it really solidified the show as really firing end to end. So yeah, really, really good stuff. Keenan and Scarlett performing the songs. I think you also need to give kind of special mention to that because that sketch hung on how well they could commit to that material and perform it. They don't have a lot of time to learn these songs and, and make sure that they can figure out a funny way to execute them. And, and I thought that it was all just stunning work. Yeah. I really enjoyed Alex Moffat <laughs> kind of respectfully enjoying the music. Yeah. He, he's embracing it. Yeah. yeah. Good little touch. Yep. So yeah, this was, this was surprisingly satisfying for the closer of the night. And uh, I think, I think that's worth sketching the night for me, at least now MVP. I'm not sure. Maybe I gave it to him once before. But um, if so, I'm happy to do it again. I'm going with uh, Mikey Day. Mm -hmm. Mikey Day did show a lot of range and filled a lot of different niche roles. Mm -hmm. If there was ever a episode to show someone to showcase what Mikey Day is all about, this would probably be one of the better ones to show them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can respect that. It was a solid outing for him. I'm giving it to Scarlett Johansson. I think that uh, she's a perfect example of what a capable host can do when they come to play and the cast embrace them. And there was nothing that she wasn't game to do. She's definitely not the kind of host that they put in a background role or a straight man role. They have a confidence in her to let her do what she wants. And they were able to have a really fun show because she wasn't a limiting factor. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now 
On a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? I don't know, John. I'm very tempted to give it a classic. Okay. I I wouldn't fault you if you did. What's the final word here? Well, ooh, a lot of these sketches were so strong and the host was on point. The musical guest was amazing. Yeah. I think despite its flaws, we got a classic episode on our hands. So play that Price is Right <laughs> bell or whatever. <laughs> Let the confetti fall down the banners. It's a, it's a classic from Steve. Okay. Well, actually, I will say there was one piece of feedback that I got via Twitter that I didn't add to the show just because I, I thought we had better things to talk about. But someone did call you out for being a little too generous with your ratings of the show. They said that you're generally like one step above what a more measured and reasonable <laughs> assessment would be. Reasonable or, um, you know, just being a Debbie Downer. Well, everyone's got an opinion. There's no right or wrong answer to this, unless for whatever reason I've decided you're wrong, in which case I'll take you to task. But it's just funny that, yes, there was a a noticeable uptick in the number of people who are suggesting that maybe you're too quick to go for the classic or go for the great. But that said, I'm right there with you. You know, if we have a classic episode this season that in hindsight, we're still going to view as classic, even though you and I have both given out a couple classics earlier in the season, maybe just because we were just really excited about how good good 42 is coming together. I think if there's a high point of the season, we've got to be pretty close to it right here. And like you said, solid musical act. You've got a five timers club inductee. You've got a solid firing show where the part of the show that is typically the hardest to maintain quality, which is the live stuff. That was the strength of this show. And that is so rare. Normally it, it has to be a mixed bag just because of the constraints of the production it's very hard to get a show end to end where every sketch has something memorable and fun that you walk away satisfied from. And this was it aside from the pre-tapes, which weren't bad. They just weren't chonk. They weren't chonk level. Yeah, exactly. They just, they weren't the best that SNL has to offer. And that's the only bad thing you can say about the whole show is that the pre-tapes just weren't the best of the season. No misfires, no Chandra and Malik's in my opinion, just nothing that I thought was like stunning, but otherwise, yeah. There's just nothing bad to say about it. And even Leslie, you know, if there was an aspect of the show where you could say we have to be forgiving because, you know, one of the players isn't usually good in live performances. Leslie was on tonight. She was there keeping pace toe to toe with everyone else. Yeah. And weekend update. <laughs> Jost and Shay were delivering jokes like they knew what they were doing. It was just, it was just, it was all there. It was all there. This was the full package. Yeah. Just try to come up with a area of criteria that we can't, you know, sing praises to, it would be hard because almost every aspect of this episode was on point. Yep. And we even got Baldwin as Trump. So you've still got the, the highlight of 42, which when everyone looks back, it'll be that season when Alec Baldwin was doing Trump, we've got a, a representation of that in the show as well. So yeah, this is the full SNL package on display. And what better episode to give it a classic? Yeah, let's do it. Classic. It is across the board i'm right there with you all right well you got anything else to say about it no i'm happy to have said what i said and that's about it okay that's a cast thanks to my guest steve finn you can connect with steve on facebook at transparency chmr if you'd like to support our podcast please consider using and bookmarking our amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm 
It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in two weeks to take a look back at an SNL Vintage episode, and then two weeks after that when SNL returns with host Louis C.K. and musical guest The Chainsmokers. This has been episode number 17 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Oh my gosh, thank you to Lord Alec Baldwin, Jack Antonoff, to Lord Michaels, the cast and crew at SNL, and I would like to send a big shout out to the men and women of the armed forces overseas and abroad. Over, abroad and here, we are thinking of you. You are with us always. Thank you for your service. All right, thank you both. What a beautiful hidden gift David had. Mm. There is more. I mean, but do we really need to hear them? I mean, that's the question I'm wondering. Well, I think David would have wanted y'all to hear this one. <clears throat> Here is my butt as I lean against a wall. I shake it up and down. I press it all around, baby. Here is my butt as I lean against a wall. I drop it to the ground, baby. The fan and watch your head blow. That is my fight like a dog yo yo. Here is my bow, my butt. Yes. <laughs> Mrs. Green, I hope that brought you some peace.